0: You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. Turning your Bibles to First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. Two weeks ago, we started this series, and then through a situation where last minute, my family and I could not be here, uh, Gary filled in for me. And then last week, we had our church picnic, and it just wasn't the time or the place to continue the series. So here we are, two weeks later, uh, getting to uh, the second part of this series. So if you're just joining us, you're, you've not missed much on the series, at least. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 is where we're going to hang out today, verses 4 through 10. I'm going to read something to you, and I want you to think about it for a second. We don't like it when others imitate us. Their attitude irritates us. I'll read it again. I'm hearing, I'm hearing some, oh yeah, we don't like it when others imitate us because their attitude irritates us. In other words, our attitude, they're imitating it. uh, Okay, I'm trying. (laughs) From the day we enter the world, we're imitating. Are we not, little ones? Uh, If you've had a kid or if you've observed a parent with a kid, they're talking to the baby and they're sticking their tongue out at them and they're they're sticking their tongue out back and and different things. and, And sometimes it's like this funny caricature of they're imitating us in ways that we might not wish that they would. One mother comments, sometimes my two-year-old son will put himself in timeout. It makes your job easier. I can hear him saying to himself, no throwing toys. One, two, three, timeout. Then he will go and sit in timeout. That'd be nice. When our boys, I got permission to share this, when our boys were much younger, one of them observed their mother feeding baby brother and he proceeded to go get his stuffed animal, which at that time was a dolphin, and his version of a nursing blanket. And then he began to put the dolphin under the blanket and cover it up and feed his dolphin, like mom was feeding baby brother. In other situations, our children imitate the side of us that needs more sanctification, such as the dad driving here and, and the kids all yelling at the other drivers on the road. One mom shares how while shopping in the store, in a week moment, a situation happened with another lady in the store, and Mom, under her breath, was like, oh, what a bat. And moving on throughout the store, they ended up in the same checkout line with this other lady, and the little boy's like, hey, Mom, look, there's a bat. <laughs> and so they got to spend the rest of that time checking out together <laughs> right after that. And then are those times when our kids imitate us, the side of us that we hope that they do, not just when we need more Jesus in our lives. When we see and catch them praying, when we hear them singing a song uh, and they don't know that we hear them and they're listening in, where we catch them reading their Bible, or they make a choice where they put somebody else above themselves. And it's in those moments Man, as a parent, or maybe even if you're not a parent of a biological child, but somebody you've discipled, when you see those people act that way and reach out that way and and take hold of the gospel and let it take hold of them and live that way. So this morning, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about in our text. That we were created to be a chosen, imitating example of Jesus Christ. A chosen, imitating example of Jesus Christ. So let me review for us since it's been two weeks and uh, you've slept more than a couple of times since then and so have high. So let's let's kind of do a quick recap of a couple of weeks ago. And this letter was written by Paul, Salvanus, who's also Silas, and Timothy. And they were only in Thessalonica a short time, three to five weeks. And then if you go back to Acts 16 and 17, you can see how Paul and Silas, right before they traveled to Thessalonica, they were actually in prison in Philippi. They were there because they were in prison because they were sharing the gospel. And so while they were in prison, they were beaten and they were chained up. And this is that time, if you remember the old flannel Bible stories or you've you've been through the scriptures enough, this is the one where the earthquake, God sent the earthquake, and the earthquake literally shook the foundations of the prison and the jail shook off the foundations. Now that would be powerful. The doors flew open. The chains fell off. But before that earthquake came, Paul and Silas were singing and praising Jesus while in prison. How do we reconcile that? Physically beaten, physically tortured, in prison— And they're singing and praising their God. Well, out of that response, the uh, prison, the guy over the warden, if you want to use today's terminology, he wanted to know what it was that they had and why they hadn't left. He came in threatening to kill himself because they're going to kill me anyway. And he ended up bringing Paul and Silas home out of prison, cleaning them, feeding them, His whole family came to know Christ out of it. They were ordinary people like you and I, but they had the same Savior that you and I have as well. City of Thessalonica had a population of around 200,000. It was one of the capital cities of Macedonia. It was a happening place. You can see on the map here, it was one of the, it doesn't show it on the map, but you can see how it's strategically located there in the Aegean Sea and and how it was a main shipping port for trades and goods. It was also on the main uh, Roman road, is what they called it, where trades and goods were always coming through there. It was a place to have a store, a warehouse, a distribution center. It was very religious. There's religions from all over the world going on there. And Paul and Silas and Timothy showed up and started preaching Christ in the synagogues. And the Thessalonians received that truth. And the four truths that we pulled out of those first three verses of the letter were were these. Pray for others. They were praying for others. There was a work powered by faith. A turn to Christ and a turn from idolatry to sin. Then there was a hope-filled anticipation, actively waiting for Christ's return by loving and serving Him. And that was that work powered by faith. There was a labor fueled by love. Love for God, love for his people, making disciples of Christ. You see, Barnabas discipled Paul. Paul discipled Timothy. And as we looked at earlier in the year in our series on Titus, he discipled Titus, and who knows how many others as well. There's that labor fueled by love. And now these three men, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, came into Thessalonica, and they had discipled the Thessalonians. There was an endurance that the Thessalonians had sustained by hope, by allowing God's love to throw through through them that same endurance that we can have by our hope in Christ. And that love, as it fills us up, as it's, you hold the cup up to Christ and let him fill it up, it spills out into those around us. We share his love for them, being the hands and feet of Jesus, sharing the gospel message, the gospel truth with him. With others. So as I mentioned last week, my hope for this series as we go through it is that we become more fully committed to living out the great commandment. We become more fully aware in embracing the great commission and fulfilling it, getting to play a part in that role. Do we want to be on the sideline or even worse in the bleachers, up in the nosebleed section while others are getting to participate on the field with Christ and for his name? Or do we want to be the ones on the field? So most guys don't go out for a sport or girls go out for a sport and hope that they get to ride the bench. Am I right? I mean, you don't sign up hoping I'm going to be the best person on the bench I can be. Now, if coach says that's where you need to be, absolutely, you should be the best person on the bench. But that's not your dream. That's not your hope. Right? That's in some ways, it's kind of like, hey, I want to be the best loser on the team. No, it's not that. It's not that. We want to play. We want to be a part of the winning team. We want to share in that. And that's our opportunity by living out the great commandment and the great commission as individuals and as a church. So let's read these verses together. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4-10. through 10. Would you stand with me? And read these out loud with me. I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance." You know how we lived among you for your benefit, and you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord when, in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything, for they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Amen. You may have a seat. I'd like to pause and pray one more time for us and our time and for the the Word. Every Sunday, and this is the first one in many that it's happened because all three of these guys are out, and I I didn't think enough ahead of time to grab some other guys to pray uh, over this teaching time. Um, Tony and Gary and Kurt and I, we meet in that prayer room right before service, and we pray. We pray over the service. We pray over the teaching time. We pray that the word would be spoken truly and accurately. We pray for each person that's going to be here, that they would hear the truth of God's word. And so um, I'm missing that this morning. And so um, I would like to just pause, and if you would just join me in prayer. Father, your word is holy and perfect and true, and you gave it to us as a gift, as a love language from you. And Lord, I just ask right now that you would speak to us through it. God, that no word would be uttered from my mouth that you don't want said. That distractions in our hearts and minds would be kept at bay. Differences possibly between us and among each other would be, would be kept at bay, Lord. That reconciliation and forgiveness would, would, would occur. That we'd, we would do nothing whatsoever to hinder you that would keep you from being here among us, to keep you from working. So that ultimately, Lord Jesus, that someone who doesn't know you, that their eyes and their heart would be open to you this morning and accept you as your Lord and Savior. That those who already know you, Lord, that our, that our love for you would grow and abound more and more, that, that our heart would turn to you. More so that, that you would reveal things in our lives that we have not Fully surrendered to you. Let it all be for your glory and your name's sake. Amen. Okay, so back to our uh, back to our message. A Chosen Imitating Example of Christ. So I'm just going to kind of break down that title by verses here, okay? A chosen Imitating Example of Christ. So Verse 4 and part of verse 5 is where, where I'm pulling this word chosen from. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power in the Holy Spirit and with full assurance. Now a couple of you are like, oh boy, he's going to go there. Uh, uh, the doctrine of election and predestination is, is kind of that word that chosen gets pulled out of there. And so... We're going to go there a little bit, but not linger too long. Paul Paul knows that the Thessalonians were chosen because they were saved. In verse 5, and throughout the end of this chapter, and even further on in the letter, he has visible results. He has proof showing that the gospel transformed their lives, that they were saved. Okay, because they were living it out. It was ringing forth from them, not just where they were at in their own area, but even beyond their area. See, when, when the gospel takes over our hearts and our lives, it becomes known. It goes beyond our own individual self, it goes beyond the walls of our home, it goes beyond the walls of this church building, it goes into the community and the world beyond. And that is a visible result of our salvation, of being chosen. Now, there's a strong temptation to want, for me, honestly, I had it this week battling on this, to ignore these verses, just to kind of glaze over that word chosen and not really talk about it much. But I can't. I can't. It's in the Word of God, so we have to look at this. We have to talk about this. You see, we can easily forget that God is infinite, and we are not. Am I right? We have the head knowledge, but the heart knowledge of that? We're making decisions on a daily basis, uh, different things, and we're not even including him in on our life. We have no idea what's going on in the spiritual realms on the daily lives that we go about. We have no idea how God's working and orchestrating. And sometimes we have that neat perspective of the rearview mirror and looking back and going, oh my, what a mighty God I serve. How he worked, how he ordained that, how that worked out perfectly. His timing was Perfect. On being chosen, Charles Spurgeon said it this way, if God had not chosen me, I should never have chosen him. And the first time I came across that a few years ago, I, I pondered on that for a while, and I started thinking about it, and I thought, would I, left unto myself, actually been able to have the right mind and the right heart to choose God without him at least tapping me on the shoulder, without him revealing himself through somebody else? I honestly can't answer and say that I would have. How else can we explain why some believe and others do not, growing up in the same home, being experienced and exposed to the same teaching, the same loving parents, but one will choose and one will not? How else can we explain the testimony of the person like we heard from Chuck a few weeks ago when he was baptized of somebody running their whole life, their whole life running from God and stiff-arming him and running away from him until finally at 72 years old going, I get it. Why at 72 and not all those years before? Can we honestly say that we are strong enough to overcome our fleshly sinful nature, our idolatry? In a moment of clarity, to humble ourselves before the risen Lord, our Savior Jesus Christ, without help. I don't know that we can. But I don't want you to just only take my word for this because this is a topic that can create lots of debates and there's lots of different theologies that settle in on this. So what I would like to do on the screen here, there's two truths that we can find for sure in Scripture. And there are a lot of references. And so I just want to have you guys have some time to sc- copy these down. Okay? And I'll just keep on talking. But if you want to explore this on your own, don't just take my word for it. In fact, never just take my word for it. Always go back to Scripture. So make sure what I say is accurate and true. Chase these down. All right? Not sure what to do for your quiet time this week? Chase these verses down. I just gave you something to do. You're out of excuses, right? Quiet times abound this week at New Life Church. Love it. (laughs) So, while I'm moving on, and if you choose to write that down, that's great. Through the power of the gospel, God transformed those whom he saves. This was true for the believers in the church of Thessalonica because of the visible results that I was talking about a minute ago. And because of this truth, we should also see visible results in our lives. There should be tangible, visible results of the gospel transforming our hearts and our lives. The net result, that net visible result, using business terms here, transforming power of the gospel of our lives, is the fruit that we bear. It is the fruit that we bear. I believe to simplify this fruit, we can boil it down to our love for God, that time with Him, that abiding in Him, that serving Him, obeying Him, our love for His people, And going and making disciples of Jesus Christ. The GC squared life, the great commandment, the great commission. That's what GC squared, that's what I coined from a friend of mine. That GC squared life, great commandment, great commission. Love God, love others, go make disciples of Christ. Now you may be sitting here wondering, Matt, how do I know? How do I know if I've been chosen? How do I know that I've been saved? How do I know that there are visible results in my life? Well, there's a number of ways, but I love to use this story as an illustration. An uh, evangelist was coming through town to a church, and he just gave an amazing message, sharing of his time, being a missionary and different things, and the call for the gospel. and uh, Imagine a Hispanic Gary Duke, if you would. Um, just, just fired up, excited about the Lord, excited about the gospel, excited about people, uh, and passionate, coming to know Christ, and... And at the end of the service, one of the young men in the congregation came up to him and just said, sir, I really appreciate your message. I just struggle with wondering if I really am because I keep being tempted and, and I keep falling at times and I'm just always having to come back and repent and different things. And the evangelist looked at him and said, okay, then give up. You're either for Christ or against him, right? There is no fence riding when it comes to your salvation. So if you're not for him... You're against him. And he said, so walk away. Eat, drink, be merry, live how you want. And the man was like, no, I can't. I can't do that. I cannot give up on him. And the man said, that's how you know you are saved. It's not a life of perfect straight past without rocks and holes to trip on and trip through. It's not a life without bumps and bruises. It's not a life where we're not going to fall down. And by God's grace, he comes and picks us back up again. But that does not mean that we are not saved. It means he is gracious and loving and merciful. And he's right there with us all along the way. So a chosen imitating. Verses five, the rest of verse five and six, you know how we lived among you for your benefit, and you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord, when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. First of all, we should note that Paul, Silas, or Silvanus, and Timothy lived their lives in a manner worthy of being imitated. Did it start with them? No. There were others in their lives that imitated this same example that rubbed off on them. For Paul, as I mentioned earlier, it was Barnabas. He rubbed off on him, loved on him, discipled him. Three years after his conversion on the Damascus Road, Paul went and studied the Scripture and poured over them. And at the right time, Barnabas called him into Antioch with me. Come on, brother. It's time for you to engage. And walked with him for a year before Paul went out. And what did Paul do? Snatched up a young man named Timothy, snatched up a young man named Titus, and who knows how many more that aren't even recorded in Scripture that he snatched up and discipled and loved on along the way. 2 Timothy two sums up exactly Paul's heart and desire for discipleship, no doubt how he was discipled. He says this: What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men, you can also add, and women, who will be able to teach others also. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Do it. Realize that you're chosen. Be worthy of being imitated. If we are chosen, claiming to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, we will have what? Those visible results of the GC squared life, the great commandment, the great commission coming out of us. People will be able to see it. There'll be an aroma of Christ on us. It's like honeysuckle in the spring. And you can't even see it, but you're walking and you smell it and you know it's there. Or a pine forest. If you walk through a pine forest and that aroma is just everywhere. And that's how Christ should be on us. There should be an aroma that when we walk by, when people interact with us at all, there should be, there's something different. And it's not an excuse to just lay low only with our choices and our example. We also need to speak it. Who's a Barnabas in your life? It can take Look at different ways, different times, different places. I know for many of you, Tom, was that for you? Here before. It doesn't have to be a pastor. It can be a friend. It can be a parent. It can be lots of different things. That can be that person that's just loving on you, pouring into you. Sometimes they're in the same season of life, and sometimes not. Who's a Timothy in your life, or a Titus? Who can you be pouring into? Who can you be loving on? Who can we, as a body, be doing that together? At a minimum, I encourage you to be praying for this. And if you're unsure, and you desire that, and you're seeking that out, let Tony know. Let Gary know. Let me know. As the elders of this church, we also want to be praying for that. And we might also know who people who have come to us and said, hey, you know of anybody who'd like to disciple me? We might say, hmm, yeah. We might know someone. We would love to connect that. We would love to make that happen. Chosen, imitating example of Jesus Christ, verses 7 through 10 here. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia for the word of the Lord rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia but in every place that your faith God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything, for they themselves report what kind of reception we have from you. How you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. I love how Paul never ever leaves any doubt on who he's talking about as far as the Savior. You're like, man, he just says it over and over and over and over. But it's like he describes them and some attributes of them, and then he says, and it's Jesus. There's no doubt about who he's talking about ever in Scripture. And see, here are some of those visible results, those Thessalonians being examples of Jesus Christ. It's someone chosen, imitating, being an example of Jesus Christ, lived out and on display in 4K Ultra HD. I mean that's the newest and latest greatest technology as far as the TV goes now, right? I mean these Thessalonians were living this out in 4K ultra HD. They rang and the bell of the gospel. They rang the bell of the gospel. It rang out have you, have you ever been in an area or a big city where there was a huge bell, and they ring it, and it lingers? It's like it becomes a part of the atmosphere, so much so that you almost can't even tell when it quit. It's like, is it still ringing? I think I still hear it. That's how these Thessalonians were with the gospel. It continued to ring out. It continued to broadcast. That's how our life should be. That's how our life should be. Do we, do we go into a situation with that hope and that expectation of getting to share the gospel with somebody? Do we interact with the clerk at the convenience store or at Walmart at Harps or at Town and Country or Stangs or wherever we're at? with that hope of getting to share the gospel with them. I had a conversation earlier in the week with a gentleman uh, here in the congregation. I'm not going to name his name since I don't have permission, but we were talking about that he was sharing a time that God ordained literally him to be up in the middle of the night. Couldn't sleep. Didn't know why. His buddy from downstairs, living in an apartment, knocked on the door. It's like, dude, I can't sleep either. And he's like what is this? It's like, well, do we want to just go like hang out and go look at music down at the, this is older school days when you would go and look at music not on your phone. And so they go down to the store and they're looking at music and and they end up bumping into this guy who's kind of wandering around the Christian section. And the conversation gets struck up and the guy's like, man, I just just don't know. Are you familiar with this kind of music? It just draws me in, but I can't figure it out. And they're looking at each other like, And they end up sharing the gospel with him. The guy comes to know Christ and the guy's like in the produce section with his hands raised praising Jesus in the middle of the night. And he looked at me and he goes, after telling me this story, he goes, there's nothing better. There is no greater feeling. There is nothing better that somebody can experience than getting to be a part of somebody planting that seed and watching their life transform right in front of you. And we don't always get to be that person. But we are called to plant those seeds for sure. They rang the bell of the gospel. They turned from idols and turned to God. And we touched on this a couple weeks ago. But I don't know about you, but maybe there's a couple idols that snuck up on you in the last two weeks. If you're like me, yeah. Idols being that which we sin to get or sin if we don't get. If somebody were to look at our lives, would they, would they see the aroma of Christ on it? Would they be ringing the bell of the gospel? Or that evidence, would we be convicted of being an idolater? Turning from idols is repentance. Or turning to God is faith. How? Faith that God is who he says he is. Faith that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay for all of those idols, to pay for all the times that we fell into temptation and turned to them instead of him. He paid for that. There's zero we can do to earn his grace. Nothing. It's paid. Our sin is paid. And he went to the cross He died. He took on that sin. Separated himself from intimacy with God the Father and doing so went to the grave and defeated death. You see, because if he didn't rise from the dead, it's all null and void. We do this for nothing, y'all. But he rose from the dead. He conquered sin. He conquered the grave. And his salvation is for all. Look at those verses earlier. God desires for all to be saved. Absolutely. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The world he went to the cross for. You say, Matt, how do I know this Jesus? How do I know if it's real? Pray. Ask him to show himself to you. Let them know you're trying to figure it out. Ask one of us. Ask me. Ask somebody else here. We would love, more than anything, to walk down that path with you. Let us heed this warning from Isaiah 59. I shared this in the deacon meeting a couple weeks ago and how these verses were haunting me. Lately, I just couldn't get past it. My personal quiet time is... Verses 1 and 2, it says, Indeed, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save, and his ear is not too deaf to hear. The promise that God can save, and he will listen. Verse 2, But your iniquities, our sins, are separating you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not listen. See, we can push him away with our sin and rejecting him. So the Thessalonians rang the bell of the gospel. They they turned from idols and turned to God, as of which we should both be doing as well, not just the Thessalonians. And they waited with eager, expectant, joy-filled anticipation for Christ's return by serving him. As should we keeping eternity in mind, that is the hope set before us when every tear is gone, every pain, every sorrow is gone. We are reunited with the ones we love. And forevermore at his feet and in his presence, without guilt, without shame, Let us hold fast to that. Let us be like the Thessalonians were. And let us encourage each other in doing so. This morning, um, Misty, come on up. Misty's going to share with us just part of her story of of God choosing her and uh, the work of the gospel in her life. And somebody who absolutely the gospel rings forth from this lady thank you
1: so um first of all i guess i'm just going to read from what i wrote um i began attending here at new life just over three years ago um i didn't grow up in a church um i had not attended a church but a couple times in my life and um i definitely did not know the lord um i surely was not saved um I first was introduced to the person of Jesus through a television program called Joyce Meyer Ministries. And the funny thing was is that when I was living in sin, I'd be up to three o'clock in the morning and never failed. My TV was on a channel that her program would come on. Um, it was through her program that I learned some of who Jesus was or who he is, how he loves me and how I was forgiven of my sins. Um, November 2014, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and, sa- Lord and Savior just shy of my 32nd birthday after a 17 year um, year battle of addiction. Um, I was addicted to methamphetamines. I began using them at the age of 15, and it continued through my life. I dropped out of high school, was in and out of jail. I had a felony by 19 and I spent my 20s in a drugged-up coma. I had no ambition or plan for my future. The last three years, of my addiction were the worst. I destroyed relationships, I lied, I cheated, and I stole to satisfy my addiction. I managed to betray, for a second time, the only person on this earth that ever truly loved me, which is my husband. My addiction almost cost him everything that he had worked hard for, his home and his livelihood. But thankfully, to the saving grace of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, I no longer must live defined by who I was or what I have done. And thanks to my husband who forgave me and showed me firsthand the power of grace and forgiveness, Since I have accepted Christ, I have gained a new outlook on life, one that I've never had before, an outlook of hope for the future, a supernatural joy that I cannot explain, and even peace during difficult times. I have decided to go back to school, and I have since obtained my associates, and I'm working towards my bachelor's. In three and a half short years, Christ has enabled me to turn my life completely around. He has provided the power for me to say no to the life that was killing me. Not only has Christ wiped away the urge to use drugs, but also nicotine and alcohol. He has not just shut the doors, but he has taken away the option altogether. Gary mentioned a few weeks ago how we should live knowing who God says we are, not by our own understanding, but rather the truth found in the Word that's what I've chosen to do. I accepted Christ standing in my kitchen, a worthless sinner, a liar, a thief, a deceiver, and an addict. But by calling out to God for his help and surrendering to him to be Lord over my life, I became worthy, redeemed, complete, enough, righteous, and free. I am a daughter of the king and an heir to a heavenly kingdom. If you would have told me five years ago that I would be free from my addiction, I would have called you a liar. If you would have told me four years ago that I would be a servant of God in and out of the church, I would have called you crazy. If you would have told me three years ago that I even would be employed by a company whose mission is to better the lives of those it provides services for, I would have probably stopped talking to you. (laughs) Think about it. God took this broken girl whose life was engulfed in destruction And has placed me in a position to create hope and help, encourage, and empower others to set and achieve goals. And it's, you know, all this is, all the glory goes to God for what I've done. No glory goes to the life that I used to live, but his changing power. But I must say, I must say that as Gary inspired me with this too, I, I was a bad person when I walked through the doors of this church just over three years ago. And now I stand a humble servant of Christ. It is in the opportunity to serve in this church that I have gained the confidence of the truth that I have accepted. It is in the full acceptance of the members of this congregation that I have been able to live to the potential that Christ has for me. As a body of believers, New Life Church has strengthened, supported, and motivated me to be better than I was before. It is in the life groups that I have formed special relationships, and it is in the fellowship that I have been comforted. So I just want to thank you all, because I know that when I come through these doors, I'm accepted. I've never been a fancy dresser, but I walked through these doors in January of let's see, 2015, and wearing rags, full of shame. I felt like as if every bad thing that I had done was written on my skin, and my head was hanging low. But when I walked through these doors, there was an angel standing there that looked at me. And ever since then, my life has just been great and has really, truly blossomed from help from the people here sitting in these chairs. So I love this church. I'm just so thankful for all of you. We
0: love you, What a great testimony of God's saving power and his grace on somebody. Somebody who's at the bottom of bottom. And God reaches in and chooses them and pulls them up and out of it. Through a TV show. God can use anything. God can use anything. And we just praise God for His work in your life, in your family's life. Um, just special people. Special to this heart. Or special to my heart. Special to this church. And uh, I'd just like to take a minute to pray for you and your family. Lord Jesus, we give you all praise and all glory over your work in misty, and Mike's life, and their kids' lives, Lord, and just ask for you to just continue what you have started. We are grateful and thankful that we can be confident in that, that you will, as it says in Philippians. Lord, that I pray, Lord, that her testimony would ring forth. It's full of the gospel. It's full of your saving power and grace. And Lord, I just ask that it, it would speak to somebody here who thinks that they might be beyond touch, whether they're at the bottom of bottoms or they think that they've got it all figured out and they're on the other end, as we don't without you, Lord. So I ask for their blessing, and fa- your blessing and your favor over the Shepherds, that you continue to guide them and direct them, that you continue to work in and through them, Thank you for their ministry at this church. Thank you for them being a part of this church body. In your name, amen. Thank you, Misty. In closing, I would just like to offer you that same grace that Misty has felt and experienced. I'm not a big walk the aisle person. I don't do that a whole lot around here, as you know, but... um, I can't help but at least offer that invitation that maybe there's somebody here who who knows they need that. There's a song, popular song, it's Jesus is Calling. And that's just ringing in my heart right now that he's calling right now. He's calling each one of us to him. So would you, would you do this? Would you just close your eyes and bow your heads where you're at and just... I'm just going to pray a simple prayer. You take these words and make it your own. There's no magic formula to this. It's not my words that make it true. It's, it's the manner of your heart that makes, makes it true. Lord Jesus, would you rescue me? I need it. You paid for it and you defeated it on the cross i need you I give you my heart I give you my life and i'm going to just ask in the next couple minutes if you if you prayed that nobody's looking would you would you want to just slip your hand up Praise God. Praise God. Would you, if you did that, if you, would, if you would grab me afterward, I would love to just make sure that this isn't something that's gone and moved on. I want to know how we as a body can support you and surround you and encourage you and pray for you more specifically in this. Lord Jesus, we just, uh, God, I'm humbled. I'm humbled at your mercy. I'm humbled at your grace and your love for us. I Thank you, Lord, that you don't give up. Lord, how you pursued Misty in the wee hours of the morning and through a TV show. And you continue to work in her life. There are testimony this morning of your love for her. I Thank you for Chuck's a couple of weeks ago, Lord. At 72, still pursuing Him, a life of running from You and running hard, but You still pursued Him. And God, just as You do for each one of us, the sinner on the cross dying next to You, God, his last moments on earth. You pursued Him and accepted Him into Your kingdom that day. Lord, heaven's rejoicing for those who have chosen You. I just... (laughs) Oh, I can't wait to get a picture of what that, what that celebration looks like, Lord. And so this morning, we just, we just lift it up to you, Lord. We give it to you. We go forth as those sent, those sent forth to ring the bell of the gospel. Those sent forth to love you more fully, to abide in you. Those sent forth to love those around us, to... Have the hope set before us of your glorious and wonderful return someday. We ask all these things in your precious and holy name, Jesus. Amen.